Hello and welcome to Very Necessary. I'm Melissa Helmsley and I'm a chef, food writer and food activist. I'm here to bring you the stories behind the objects that we just can't live without and I'll be finding out how they've evolved and why they mean so much to us. I won't be doing it alone because each episode I'm joined by a guest to choose their very necessary object. And today I am delighted to welcome actor and broadcaster Kel Spellman. You might know Kel's acting from Waterloo Road or perhaps Cold Feet on ITV where he plays Matt Williams or you may have heard him on Radio 1. He's also really very passionate about the environment. Kel hosts the WWF podcast Call of the Wild where he interviews everyone from Sir David Attenborough to Georgia May Jagger about how we can tackle the climate crisis. Kel, welcome. How are you? I'm very, very well. What an absolute treat. Thank you very much for having me. I've been really looking forward to, to coming on and, and having this conversation. We're really excited to have you. We, as we were just saying, we've had so many wonderful guests talking about their very necessary objects. And um, we are all quite intrigued by yours and a bit, you know, a bit jealous because I feel I haven't found my version of what you're going to say. So <laughs> <laughs> come, and, come on and give it to us. What is, Kel Spellman, your very necessary item that you can't live without? So my very necessary item, which was hard to think of, really, it's one of those questions you're like, I'm sure there's loads of stuff. But then when you're asked, you're like, I don't know what it is. But uh, anyone who knows me or if you've ever seen me out and about, I've usually always got a bag. I'm a bit of a nomad in that sense. I'm kind of always on the move. Uh, And one thing that genuinely is always on my person and literally on my back, literally, is uh, my hemp bag pack. So that is my very necessary item. I also feel it might have been a bit of a cheat because it's like a backpack that keeps all my stuff in. But I thought, you know, we can get away with that. So that's what I've gone for. It's no cheat. You're allowed it. You're allowed it. Are you looking at it right now? Because obviously for everyone listening in, I'm staring. We're staring at each other. You don't have it on because you're sat down. But is it always within arm's distance? More or less, I'm I'm at home at the moment, so it's kind of it'll be by the door. Basically, whenever I touch down somewhere, I just I, I need it away from my person because it's always with me, you know. And it's like I just need to give my back a rest. Also, probably is why my back is um not probably in the healthiest um of places. But yeah, it's it's just downstairs, ready to go at the door for when I do leave and and hit the road again. Do you know what? That's what my dad taught me. Always keep the bag by the door, ready for an adventure. Love it. And so <laughs> uh, you said you had a think about it and you thought you know what could it be and you've decided on it why did you of all your items why did you decide really really when we said you must pick one why did you pick this I'm a big lover and fan of hemp which I'm really looking forward to kind of learning more about in this episode me too Uh, and I just kind of any excuse I can find to talk about hemp I'm trying to grow the hemp revolution um I'll take great and this was it so I was like we'll go for the hemp backpack but I've also got I've got hemp hats. I've got um, I've got a hemp t-shirt. I've got um, I've actually I've got I have got a hemp pair of trainers, but they're a little bit old now because um, hemp can be used for everything, as, as I'm sure we'll find out. Um, but my backpack is kind of my my main item. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited because um, I had hemp in my smoothie this morning. Um, but I would say I don't think I've had I have much much else hemp in my life. Um, and. Can I tell you, yet. you said you, you never yet after today, I will, because I'm also I'm sure we'll be on the hemp revolution with you. I want to say you, you mentioned you didn't want to uh, ever throw things away. And I'm the same. Have you had a chance to repair your backpack yet? How old is it? It's about four. I think you're probably about five years, maybe a touch longer, you know. And the only 
The what the only thing that actually has has broken on it is the uh, the the clasp, you know, that can to tighten and shorten it. Yeah. So on one of the sides, I can't tighten and shorten it anymore. I've just but I've just tied a just tied some form of knot in it basically, just to keep it attached to the clip, and it is good to go. Honestly, I I and I I go through backpacks a lot. I mean, I'm I'm carrying around far too heavy stuff basically. Um, but it seems to be one bag that has lasted and stood the test of time. But it just kind of cemented my belief on the power of hemp. It is so durable. <laughs> um, and genuinely, I think it's it's kind of, it's a, it's a super plant and it makes super things. So, yeah, as I, I, I touch wood, it's not had to be repaired that much. Fantastic. Every time you start talking about hemp, your face lights up. I love it. You're so into it. I want to get into hemp with you. In order to do so, I would love to introduce you to someone who has been uh, learning about hemp this week in preparation for today. Uh, This is Kat Summers. She is Very Necessary's own head of stories. She has been digging deep into the history of your very necessary object that is a hemp backpack. Welcome, Kat. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi, Kel. I'm so pleased that you chose this because uh, I started to look into it about how much hemp is used, how we used to use it for so many things. We used to wear it, eat it, burn it, sleep on it. But I had to really wheel back and actually start with the basics, which is what is hemp? Melissa, do you know? Sort of. I mean, uh, I, I had it for breakfast in my smoothie and I've lived to tell the tale. So I know it's edible and I'm ex- I'm, I am feel slightly like I'd be missing out as the revolution has been simmering along, ready to explode at us. But I, I'm very keen to know, Kat. Tell us everything. It used to be really popular, didn't it? Really popular. Like I said, it was used for millions of things and, and, and it's edible as well as makes backpacks. I didn't really understand what it was. So to start from the absolute beginnings, and I have to admit as well, like this might reflect my misbegotten youth in Camden Market, but I associated it with sort of being very illicit and those alternative shops decorated with big green cannabis leaves with those seven long slender fingers. You know, they were kind of everywhere back then on stickers, t-shirts and caps. I just had to wheel back and figure out exactly what hemp is. So hemp, or industrial hemp, whatever you want to call it, is a plant too. And it's one that grows super fast with thick stalks that can be used to make fibres, a bit like bamboo or flax. And it's really recognisable. It's a very tall, green, bushy, almost jungly plant that often reaches over four metres in height very quickly. And it has leaves very similar to the ones I saw in Camden. That's because it is a member of the cannabis family, but it barely produces any THC, which is the chemical that has psychoactive effects for anyone who ingests it. So unlike cannabis, hemp doesn't get you high. Mm, And I didn't realise actually that it grew that tall, quite that tall. And so why was it really popular and now less so, but getting popular again? What's changed, Kat? It's quite the story. Take it away. Second World War, the US government released a film. It was a propaganda film called Hemp for Victory, which praised the multiple uses of this robust crop and encouraged farmers to plant it for the war effort. The US government at the time even permitted some men to remain at home and not fight if they dedicated their time to growing hemp. This may seem bizarre now that during a world war, the US government wanted to promote hemp so much that it funded a 13-minute film, this being at a time when film was incredibly expensive to produce. But it wasn't the first time the government had encouraged the cultivation of hemp. In fact, there had been a time when it was illegal for farmers not to grow hemp. But more about that later. 
During the Second World War, hemp was used for rope, sails and cloth, all vital as part of the war effort. But in 1941, the Japanese invaded the Philippines, which meant imported fibres were in short supply. So the US had turned to a homegrown solution, hemp. Hemp for tackle and gear. Hemp for countless naval uses, both on ship and shore. Just as in the days when old Ironsides sailed the seas victorious, with her hempen shrouds and hempen sails. Hemp for victory. And just as they recognised hemp as a secret weapon in the war, some people now are asking if hemp could help us win the fight against climate change. The number one way that hemp could do this is by becoming the go-to ingredient in construction. But bricks and mortar are undeniably the, well, bricks and mortar of the building industry. In fact, in the UK, around 16 million cubic metres of ready-mixed concrete is used every year and around 2.4 billion bricks. That's enough bricks to build Tower Bridge 72 times. And 500 million of these bricks come from abroad, mainly from the Netherlands and Belgium, making their carbon footprint much bigger than the rest. One of the key ingredients of concrete is cement. Recent research has showed that if the cement industry were a country, it would be the third largest emitter of CO2 in the world, behind China and the US. One solution is to replace the old bricks and mortar with hemp herd, lime and water, which are the components for something called hempcrete. Those ingredients again are hemp herd. These are the woody inner fibres inside the hemp stalk that look like wood chip. Lime, and that's not the green citrus fruit, perfect with a cold drink kind, but the stuff we get from limestone that binds the hemp herd together, and water, which is self-explanatory. This recipe makes hempcrete, which is exactly what it sounds like, a hemp-based alternative to concrete. Hempcrete is simple to use, fantastically energy efficient, and doesn't attract mould. It even removes carbon from the atmosphere. Hempcrete can suck in almost 9 kilograms of carbon from the atmosphere per cubic foot, and that's the same amount of carbon emitted by three large fridges over a year. But if it's so good, then why haven't we used hemp before? Well, actually, we have. Making stuff out of hemp isn't new, quite the opposite. Archaeologists have discovered it was one of the first ever plants to be spun into a fibre over 50,000 years ago. So our late Stone Age ancestors would have been using hemp cloth. They maybe even had an upper Paleolithic version of a hemp rucksack. It's also been used in construction for years. The Ellora Caves in the state of Maharashtra in western India are said to have been constructed around the year 200 BC. They're a huge complex of temples cut out of the rock, one of the largest of their kinds in the world. There are 34 stone temples, each adorned with stunning paintings and intricate rock-cut architecture. Archaeologists recently found that the site is made from a mix of hemp, clay and lime, a similar composition to hempcrete, which they believe has prevented the site from deteriorating. This same mix of materials has been found in other ancient impressive structures in the same state, namely the Dolorthabad Fort and the Ajanta Caves. Both of these are breathtaking, huge structural feats that are still in fantastic condition today. Around the same time it was being used to build cave temples in India, hemp first arrived in Europe, in about 200 BC. Britain in particular used to love hemp. It's been cultivated here since the Middle Ages, and you can see this in some place names. For example, Hemel Hempstead in Hertfordshire essentially means Hemel's Hemp Farm. 
There was even guidance and tips on how to grow hemp published in a hugely popular instructional poem. Yep, a poem. In the 1530s, a farmer and poet called Thomas Tusser wrote and published a bestseller called 500 Points of Good Husbandry. Husbandry here meaning the care and cultivation of crops and animals, rather than a 16th century manual on how best to treat your Tudor wife. All Thomas's instructions were in verse, like this example of how to grow hemp. Now pluck up thy hemp, and go beat out the seed, and afterward water it as ye see need. In the course of the lengthy poem, Thomas recommends sowing hemp seeds in May and leaving them until September when they're ready to harvest, a suggestion that's still used by hemp farmers growing in temperate climates to this day. Around the same time as Thomas's horticultural lyrics, in 1533, Henry VIII included hemp cultivation in the law of the land, meaning it was made law for farmers to grow hemp. This made Henry the first reigning English monarch to impose a penalty for farmers who didn't grow hemp. For every 60 acres, farmers legally had to set aside at least one rood, around a quarter of an acre, for hemp. If they didn't, they faced a hefty fine of three shillings and four pence, and this equated to around half an annual salary for a household servant. So it's no wonder Thomas's hemp-growing poem was a bestseller. Growing hemp was particularly important to Henry VIII as the British Navy was so dependent on the stuff for rope and sails. Henry VIII essentially built the British Navy. His dad, Henry VII, left him seven warships when he died, but by Henry VIII's death, 38 years later, there were nearly 53 warships and 8,000 sailors. Beyond the Navy, hemp was everywhere in the 16th century. Shakespeare wrote on it, it was used for medicines, in oil lamps, for clothing, bedding, food, the list goes on. When Britain began outsourcing its hemp around the late 1700s to get more at a lower cost, hemp even caused war. In 1812, Napoleon invaded Russia, in part to stop Russian exports of hemp to Britain. This would in turn restrict the British Navy, which he hoped would help the French Empire win the Napoleonic Wars. That didn't happen, and the British Navy, with all its hemp, eventually triumphed in 1815 at the Battle of Waterloo. But Britain's stable marriage to hemp came to an abrupt end just over 100 years later, when hemp, as part of the cannabis family, was added to the Dangerous Drugs Act of 1928. Now, this is the start of hemp's reputation being dragged down by its less sober cousin, cannabis, which is more commonly known as weed, marijuana, dope. They may be two forms of the same cannabis plant, but hemp contains 0.3% THC, which is the main psychoactive compound, whereas weed contains more than 0.3%, and often much more in far higher percentages. Pun not intended. Once hemp was associated with illegal substances, its popularity plummeted. Less sustainable materials filled the place of many hemp-based products, often plastics or cement as we've seen. In the UK, hemp was re-legalised for cultivation in 1993, but with a number of requirements for farmers. For instance, they had to get a licence from the Home Office and make sure all the plants they grew contained no more than 0.2% THC. As a result, not many farmers chose to participate, meaning hemp research and development was also low. It's only recently that the UK has begun to see the potential in hemp, and in particular architects. Practice Architecture, a firm co-founded and co-run by Paloma Gormley in London, has used hempcrete on nearly all their projects. I asked Paloma if hemp could be the future of our cities. 
Yes, I think there's absolutely no reason why hemp couldn't be used in pretty much every building that we build. It's a really reliable and high performance material, it's fire resistant, it helps to thermally regulate a building, it sequesters huge amounts of carbon and it does so more than almost any other material really. The hemp plant has many other uses and, and every bit of the plant is highly valuable. It seems that hemp doesn't have any negatives at all. There aren't many, I suppose. You've got to know its limitations. For example, it can't be exposed externally, it has to be covered in cladding, etc. But it has so many other benefits. Hempcrete is currently slightly more expensive than the usual bricks and mortar, but this is changing with the increase in homegrown hemp. In the UK, there are still a number of restrictions in place, but the number of hemp farmers is slowly on the rise. Undoubtedly, hemp's reputation is still suffering from the hangover of the 1928 Drugs Act. To grow hemp in the UK today, only certain plants can be grown and a government licence is still required. And this needs to be renewed every three years. But that doesn't always happen. A not-for-profit hemp farm in Oxfordshire was recently ordered to destroy £200,000 worth of hemp crop when their licence was not renewed by the Home Office. So it can be a risky business. Risky, but the plant does grow thick and fast once it's sown. Back in World War II America, following the Hemp for Victory film, farmers produced a massive 186,000 acres of hemp in just two years during a war, showing just how quickly the plant can flourish. Maybe in years to come, the number of hemp houses will grow as quickly as the plant itself. Bravo. Bravo. (laughs) That is an amazing cat. Wow. I wish I could make you a cup of tea because you uh, <laughs> you smashed that. Oh my gosh, there's so much to discuss and pick apart. So many big stats flying around as well. Um, Cal, what stuck out for you? We're intrigued to know. What did you take from that? The thing I was actually most fascinated about is because I've never really been able to find out in detail what was it that kind of caused us to suddenly move away from uh, a plant that we'd used for so long. And like, as you kind of alluded to, I I, I kind of was so happy that it got mentioned. It wasn't just kind of in this short 200, 300 years. We're talking thousands of years. This plant has very much kind of been a part of kind of our, our way of growing as a society and as a as a group of people, I guess. So I, I was never quite sure what it was specifically. So I think that was interesting. No, it came as no surprise that it actually got lumbered in with the cannabis plant. And then unfortunately, you know, it kind of just drew all those negative connotations. Um, I actually wasn't sure uh, specifically the numbers of kind of how it draws carbon out of the air. I knew that it did. I wasn't, I didn't realise though actually it was that kind of efficient at it. I mean, I think there's obviously things that are more efficient, i.e. trees. But as far as a a material that can be used for building, um, I think it's magnificent that it kind of draws that much carbon from the air. Um, And also, I kind of just loved hearing that actually at certain moments in certain dynasties, the kind of, the leaders were actually pioneering the hemp revolution. It wasn't coming from the people, it was actually coming from the powers that be. And in a time where actually I seem to look at a lot of decisions made by the powers that be that go against working at one with our planet and kind of being as sustainable and green as possible, it was quite hopeful to know that actually at certain points there were world leaders, there were governments, there were kings actually pioneering um, us to kind of get at one and, and, and grow hemp. So those were three kind of standout things. 
But yeah, it was a fascinating, fascinating, and and Cat as well. That's amazing research there, by the way. It has to be said. That's incredible. Go Cat. It's it's such an interesting topic. I mean, the one thing that one thing that jumped out at me as well is that Henry Ford in the 1940s, so around the time that that film was being made, uh, did actually produce a car made out of soybeans and hemp. The chassis of the car was made from that instead of the usual plastics and stuff, and it was found to be more durable in some cases than the metal and the steel that we use today. But it didn't happen for a lot of reasons but one of which is just that hemp was seen as a bit like me in the 1990s thinking it was a little bit dodgy but not really understanding why it's sort of been tarnished by this very unfair reputation so let's talk about hemp as a material so 50,000 years ago we would have been wearing hemp as a material so hemp dresses let's go back now to Kel's backpack I mean Kel were you aware of a hemp backpack before you bought one was it something on your wish list had you seen a mate wearing a hemp backpack yeah I think um I think a friend had a hemp wallet years ago years I mean I mean I'm maybe talking 10 15 years ago and you know actually because it is it's such a beautiful cool material um so I think maybe that was my first introduction into it I've got a list here of all the things that that hemp can be used to make and and like it's clothing denim you can have hemp denim hemp, hemp jeans all kinds of fabrics uh nappies apparently can be made from hemp, um, much uh, better for the environment nappies anyway than the disposable ones that some people use. Uh, industrial textiles like ropes, netting, carpeting, paper can be made from hemp. Foods like you mentioned, Melissa, there are supplements and protein powders and seed oil that can be added to food. And body care, so soap, shampoo, lotions, it can be used in that. And not only that, but we've heard about hempcrete, but also it can be used to make acrylics, insulation, Anything you can make a building out of, basically. Fuel, so hemp oil or can be used as fuel for um, engines. It is astonishing what it can be used for. Mm. And it's, it's I, I don't know about you, Melissa, like having, you know, maybe just kind of being introduced to it. But it, as I say, it kind of, it was amazing that it did cement my belief in why I'm trying to grow this hemp revolution over here. I say that lightheartedly, not very serious. I'm pioneering a revolution. But it does astound me that when you hear the uses of it, and actually everything you can use it for and what it can do, that we have just seemed to have forgotten about it and it has just kind of been Mm. pushed to the wayside. That baffles me. I don't know about yourself. It baffles me too. I was wondering, how how do we, especially... I'm including us, we now, and your hemp revolution. How do we make it easier for people to, I don't know if I want to say do the right thing, make the better choice, because, you know, buy, buy less, buy better, we hear people talking about. Yes, there's that. And, and reuse, recycle, reduce. How do we make people give it a go? Because people's shopping habits are just that. Their habits will go for the same thing day in, day out. What do you think? What do you do when you're convincing people? I mean, I think this is this is probably one of the biggest questions because I think in any part of this conversation, any industry or whenever we're trying to move to maybe an alternative, it's the biggest challenge that we do face. I think part of it is you have to find a way of uh, embedding it in people's routines, maybe a little bit without them knowing. You know, like you say, people are used to buying these certain things. Well, how do we go about actually making it that hemp becomes second nature uh, to them? You know, it's a habit that you go, I'll put that in my shopping basket. I think education and awareness, you know, I think for yourself, Melissa, you know, actually, and hopefully people listen. I'm sure there'll be lots going, didn't even think about it, thought it was associated, you know, with cannabis and weed and people getting high. And actually, that's the problem right there, as there is with a lot of things. We have not been uh, informed 
uh, in the correct way or given the full picture. So that's the thing. I think we have to try and shift the mindset. We have to really kind of be transparent. And I think education, and I'd like to think hopefully people just listening to Kat's brilliant story there, is sitting there going whether you kind of, and as I say, the climate conversation isn't for everyone. And if you're thinking, I just need to focus on me and my family. Absolutely, I get that and that's all right. But I'd like to think that you'd at least have sat there and gone, Gosh, it does seem strange that we're not using or turning to this plant. Yeah. I mean, even if you're just asking that question, I think that's one of the biggest things we can do because then you might you might then be in Camden, Cat, and you see something and go past the stand and where you might have walked past it and gone, oh, I see that kind of six-leaf, seven-leaf plant. I walked straight past that. It's not me. You actually might stop and go, hang on, that's a nice little... There's a nice little bag there, actually. I might just treat myself. Well, there's a nice cool pair of socks. Um, and I think that's how maybe you'd start getting people around to it. But again, as with most of these things, awareness, transparency and education, um, I think is massive. I love what uh, Paloma said about every part of the hemp plant is valuable. Once you grow food, or even if you grow your basil plant on your windowsill, Mm. I think going back to your point of awareness, like you suddenly realise how wonderful nature is. And it's been hard to get to know nature in the last year. You realise that you don't want to waste it because you've seen it bloom, you've seen it at its best and you want to let it live and you see that the basil stalk is just as delicious as the basil leaf and what Paloma's saying it does make business sense as well doesn't it like why not invest in hemp if you're growing something or building something when you know that you can use everything I mean yeah. I guess uh, just thinking about us I think you know I'm, I'm, I'm a Londoner and I'm thinking about you know people building affordable housing and all the construction that's going on and you know I'm wondering why that isn't an option for people to see as Paloma was saying she couldn't really think of anything thing it couldn't do (laughs) i love that question what can it not do it is great to hear that actually really apart from there there aren't that many negative connotations to it and i think that's that's the beauty of it and it's funny you've got something that has got no negative connotations to it yet everyone's view of it is very negative yes it needs a rebrand yeah that's what's coming with you right i hope so anyway we just seem to have moved further and further away from how we used to do things And mainly, we've moved further and further away from nature and our place in it and how Mm. we can work and be at one with it. And I think that's Mm. the saddest thing. And you mentioned it there, Melissa, about connection. David Attenborough says that, and I think it's... It's very pertinent and, and one of the most powerful things we can do is finding that connection again. And I do believe, you know, rather than telling people what to do or what to think, you know, I was, I've been on the other side and I, I try not to be preachy because I know mm. it makes people turn off. But I think if you find that connection or that love or appreciation for something yourself, there's nothing more powerful, nothing more powerful than that. And I think if we can find that again, which I do believe is slowly coming, uh, then these things are just going to naturally fall into place. People maybe have got more indoor plants now. People are growing their, you know, their basils, their kind of get some tomatoes on the windowsills. Maybe they'd be inclined to go and get a, a hemp backpack. You know, maybe we're going to get the hemp t-shirt I think we will slowly start kind of naturally finding those things without going, do this, buy that shop here. Because if you say that to me, I turn off. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I I do totally get that. All right. So from hemp, we've gone from hemp wallets that you had your eye on years ago when your mate had one to your hemp backpack. You're going to have to send us a picture of your hemp backpack so we can get the visual. We've chatted about hemp houses. We've chatted about uh, hemp through the years. Hemp lose. 
Kat, can you talk to us about hemp loos? Yes. <laughs> so yeah, hemp can be used for so many things as we've talked about. Fuel, paper, cosmetics, furniture, food, cars. It's a really industrial plant. But one of its other lesser known and less glamorous but equally important uses is for compostable toilets. Uh, so if you remember back in the past music festivals when we used to go to those, I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> if you've been to Glastonbury, Latitude or Bestival, for instance, chances are you've seen what are called good loos. Have you seen any of those or have you noticed those? Yes, I've, I've, I've might have used one or two in my time. <laughs> so they're self-sufficient compostable toilets provided by WaterAid at these festivals and cleaned by WaterAid volunteers. Users are asked to make a voluntary £2 donation to use them. And when the festival is over, the solid contents of the compostable loo, uh, including the sawdust or hemp, is taken to uh, an, off-site, an off-site central vat where it's turned into compost over a period of around three years at which point it can be used safely by local farmers on their fields. And the hemp axe is a covering material that masks the smell and aids the composting effect. Good Lose raise money for water aid sanitation projects around the world. So keep an eye out next time you're at a major UK festival, whenever that might be, whenever we're allowed to do that again. <laughs> I just love the more and more. I mean, I thought I knew a lot about the good stuff that water aid does um, and has plans for uh, coming up. I'm just I just had a visual of amazing water aid volunteers cleaning and monitoring the loos at festivals and I would just like to shout them out yeah. because that is that's such an effort and and I really hope that every customer gave 2 pounds the voluntary 2 pound donation because that's brilliant. How much has water aid raised from the music festivals? Do you know Kat? I do. Their work at Glastonbury and other UK festivals has so far raised over 2.5 million pounds. Oh, oh that's wow. Brilliant. That's a lot of toilet trips. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's so cool. I mean, I think that's that's the beautiful thing as well. I think, you know, where I've just kind of just started my relationship with, with WaterAid, actually, we crossed paths because they did um, a super cool kind of future 15 list with ID, um, where they kind of highlighted 15 people, climate activists that are kind of variety of spaces, again, uh, doing things to kind of help, you know, turn the tide on the climate crisis. I mean... Wasn't sure I should be included in that list, but I was oh, very, very grateful. Definitely. Um, Water Aid, they're in places and doing things everywhere and anywhere, you know, in, in, in kind of the most unexpected places and actually kind of the way that they kind of can bring a hook back to their work or they're out there in these spaces um, is brilliant to see, actually. And I think the more that we, well, the more more we have Water Aid volunteers and kind of Water Aid projects doing the thing, I think the better and uh, happier and fairer the world will be, personally. Could we have, I'm just wondering, you know, when you're in town or you're in, you're in London or whatever city everyone lives in and there's never anywhere to go to the loo, could that not be a f- the future of? Like, you know, could that be something that we do? I would 100% pay £2 to be able to use a good loo um, oh, and contribute to water aid. Yeah. But if, it's so interesting though. I, mean, I, th- I think, again, if you take that as an example, we're so now used to thinking like, obviously I know going to the toilet is going to the toilet, but it needs to be a nice plush toilet and it's going to get flushed away in the drainage system, which by the way, you think about the amount of wastewater through all of that. Yes. You know, the I think if you were to say to people, these are going to be the new toilets popping up in London, initially everyone would be like, nope, what do you mean? It needs to actually go, when you put it aside and realise the benefits of it, I think over time people then would be like, oh yeah, well obviously we'll use that because why are we wasting thousands of litres of water unnecessarily I think again it's just if you can show people the alternative and maybe we just move out this little mindset that we're caught in I think the rest again will will just absolutely follow that I mean imagine I would love that Mm. I'd be going to the toilet all the time in London I probably wouldn't use the toilet in my flat (laughs) I'd be like that 
Get me out to the hemp toilet. <laughs> <laughs> but it is that. It's the why not? And especially it's it's as you said, Kat's brilliant whistle-stop tour through history of hemp, we've just gone, well, why not? This is the interesting thing about what you said, with, especially with your pun about hemp cropping up. Hemp keeps coming back, doesn't it? Every time someone tries to make it illegal or every time someone makes a farmer, you know, get rid of all his hemp because they didn't like, it didn't quite fit that law that time, it keeps coming back and back and back. And then it's the, why not? Why not are we doing that? Why are we doing that? In it. And as well, you know, even if you take the cannabis plant as well, which kind of obviously, however anyone feels or thinks about it, again, they've really tried to clamp down on that. But then the rise in CBD and the medicinal uses of cannabis, like that again is case in point going, we maybe haven't been told the full picture. We haven't been given all the knowledge that is available to us, you know. And I mean, I think it's it's criminal that we've not looked to the cannabis plant purely for its medicinal properties. But that's coming. And you had a whole generation, you know, 40, 50, 60 years of people that were told it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. I'm like... Well, maybe they may just, maybe that might not be the case. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's that's the thing. If we're all just maybe a little bit more aware of that in whatever it is, I mean, if you just ask the question or go, maybe I'm going to look at the other side mm. of the coin and then maybe form your opinion. I think just to go off what you've been told, uh, especially now where I think, you know, when we don't have the excuse because we can go and find out whatever we want. Literally, it's in our in our hands at the tip of our fingers. Or well, you could go and ask Kat. Yeah, <laughs> Kat, genuinely, I, I need to get your number. I'd, I mean, you'd be sick Speed of me. because Yeah, you'd also... I think be a perfect person for like the my who wants to be a millionaire phone a friend I'd be yes like that. Phone hang cap. on I, are you actually going on that no <laughs> I always it's a funny, I always think you know who would I call but Kat you've gone on my list of who I would call I think <laughs> yes, because, <Kat>. yeah. <laughs> I'm very honoured I'm very honoured <laughs> I've loved today's episode, Kel Spellman. Thank you so much for joining me and Kat today to share your very necessary object. Thank you. Oh, no, my absolute pleasure. Honestly, I've loved this conversation. Kat blew me away with your story again. All the kudos <laughs> to you and, and Melissa as well for guiding us through and, and Water Aid for, for creating the space to have these conversations. I think these are ways in which we can all learn and grow and hopefully inspire some either change in, in our habits or routines. So um, I really appreciate it and uh, it's been a joy. Thank you. I really hope that you've got lots of lovely adventures with your backpack coming up this summer and remember to tag us in a picture so we can all admire I it. I will. I will. <laughs> and, I, and listen, I don't want to blow my own trumpet. I do get quite a few compliments on my backpack so if you do ever see me with it come over and we'll have the chat about hemp and, uh, and where we can get them Camden Market oh. that Kat said right at the start actually is a great place in which you can go and get one brilliant oh brilliant thank you Kel Spellman thank you so very much for joining me today to share your very necessary object very necessary is brought to you by WaterAid a charity working worldwide to make sure that everyone, everywhere, has clean water, decent toilets and good hygiene. If you'd like to find out more about WaterAid does, like their Good Lose project and music festivals, please visit wateraid.org or follow the link in the episode description. I'm Melissa Hemsley. Thank you very much for listening and talk to you soon. Listener.